If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm delighted you're here. Why don't you go ahead and start by introducing yourself and your T1D kid? Yes. So um, my daughter, Maisie, she was diagnosed in October 9th this year. So we're just over two months in. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, she, well, she just turned 10 last week. So oh, diagnosed birthday. at nine, but now 10. Yep. Mm -hmm. And what brings you here today? She, she's always been an anxious kid. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, everything is just more heightened now. Um, and more concerning for me and my husband, just because we now have not only, I, I don't only worry about her mental health, but how it affects now her, you know, physical or mm -hmm. medical mm -hmm. stuff too. Mm -hmm. Um, because she's, you know, sometimes refuses to eat and things like that because she doesn't want to deal with the, the shots and things like that. Uh-huh. So she's on shots right now? Yes. Uh-huh. And is she on a CGM? Yep. She's got the Dexcom. Uh-huh. And, uh, and are you planning to put her on a pump? That is the plan. We just saw her endo last week. Um, we have a few classes scheduled that are mm -hmm. going to get us, get us there. So we have mm -hmm. a few more steps to take before they'll let us do it. So. Right. Okay. So I'm pushing for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me what your exact question is. It sounds like you have a general worry, both, both in yourself and for her, right? So she's always been anxious is what you're saying. And now she's more sure. anxious. And yep. also you are anxious, right? So sure. it sounds yeah. like you are worried, right? Not only about her mental health, but also about her medical health. Sure. Right? Yeah. All of which um, I want to say, check, check, check. That's really common. <laughs> But I'm not sure. saying you need to stay there. I'm saying, of course, you feel that way because you're two months into this and it's a nightmare, right? Yeah. Especially at the beginning. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess when we're in the thick of it and she's having her anxiety comes out in these big emotional meltdowns or like mm -hmm. tantrums, even mm -hmm. that it's almost like she's back to a toddler, toddler tantrums. Mm -hmm. And especially in the moment what is the best way to handle that? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's tough because everyone always talks about when everything's calm and uh, to go back and kind of talk about it if you can. Mm -hmm. But she's never been one who's been really open to that. It mm -hmm. kind of sends her back into that spiral mm -hmm. if we try to bring it up again later. And I think a lot of it is kind of like a shame thing mm -hmm. with her. Mm -hmm. Um, she's definitely a perfectionist mm -hmm. and, um, I know she, she knows when she's in these meltdowns that 
she's not really making sense. I think she knows that it's not rational, mm-hmm. but she just cannot figure out how to be- deal with it better. And then she feels very guilty about it. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you know she feels guilty? Um, what, what a lot see? of times toward the end of the meltdowns, it turns into crying because a lot of it is anger in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it's more um, sadness, crying. She'll say things like, I feel so bad. Um, I'm so sorry. Things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And then when we do go back and try to talk to her about things, when things are calm and fine, just the way she kind of shrinks down and ends up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell it's something that she just, she doesn't want to talk about. She doesn't want to deal with it. She, you can tell she just feels bad about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, poor her. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds yeah. really painful. And really yeah. painful, I'm sure, for you. Sure. What, what brings on the meltdown, the anger in the first place? Ugh, it could be anything. And that's kind of the hard part is you never know when it's going to come. We've mm-hmm. tried to pinpoint, and you know, this isn't new with diabetes. She's kind of always done this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be something as small as her pants don't feel right when she puts her pants on, you know, like something is itchy, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. It's, and, and it, there's obviously more surrounding it or deeper down, but that's what triggers it to come out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it more now as it relates with the diabetes when, you know, it's time to do a shot or, you know, mm-hmm. now, now that's more so when it comes out. So put me as a fly on the wall, if you would, and just pick a moment um, when, when she was struggling uh, because, and this pattern emerged, put me as sure. a fly on the wall and let me see what happens. Like pick any moment. And I just want to understand what, the, what's playing out, who says what, what's going on. Sure. Um, I, the, the biggest one that pops out to me was um, probably a few weeks ago. Um, we were going to go out to eat for dinner at one of her favorite restaurants. Um, and it wasn't the first time we'd gone out to eat like in public. So, you know, and I, but I, I think it is still kind of fresh and new. That whole experience is still pretty new mm-hmm. yeah. for her with the diabetes. Um, and she was looking up the menu and like the car nutritional mm-hmm. carb stuff. Mm-hmm. And she was really just doing it on her own because that's kind of, you know, she's a planner. She's a, she's very responsible, organized. That's kind of her thing. Um, and then I think that kind of set her off. I think just the, the stress of that set her off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned into screaming and crying. I'm not going. I'm never going to eat again, um, that kind of stuff. Um, I kind of came home in the middle of it because I was at work and came home in the middle of it. But then eventually it just turns into her kind of like grunting. She doesn't even say anything. It's just we try to ask her questions and she'll just like that's kind of where that toddler, like almost like sometimes writhing around on the floor, like like honestly, like a toddler. Um, a lot of times when it gets to that point, her dad and I get pretty frustrated. Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. try, we try to, well, we've tried everything. We've tried ignoring, um, kind of leaving her to do her thing. Um, we've tried kind of staying with her and, you know, trying to validate 
how she's feeling, but I, eventually, because this could go on now, this could go on for an hour or more. Mm -hmm. We just can't, I mean, mm -hmm. we ended up, I mean, that night we ended up, I kept saying, are you like, do you want to go or, or not? Because I need to feed our other kid <laughs> if we're not going to go. Mm -hmm. um, and she couldn't give me an answer. She was just kind of doing the grunty thing. So then I said, okay, I'm just going to make something for, for your daughter, for your sister. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, shortly after that, she comes out screaming, fine, let's go. Mm -hmm. But I had already started making mm -hmm. food. And then I was like, well, we, now, now we're just going to eat at home. And that, of course, mm -hmm. sent it into a um okay so you're giving me a really robust picture i appreciate that and <laughs> i i know no i do it really gives me a sense of what's going on and i also want to name that we're gonna take this one example and it might not feel totally transferable to you to the next example but we'll see i can see some points where there are probably through lines in what's happening that might be useful one question I have for you, two questions, sorry, is what you said that she'll start getting angry. I'm never, I can't go. I'm never going to eat again. What kinds of questions are you asking her in that moment? Um, I don't know if we're asking questions really, just mm -hmm. more, uh, you know, I'm, Oh, I know it's hard, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Just like, oh, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you know. It, mm -hmm. I mean, we've tried honestly though, we've 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 ranged from that all the way to, you know, trying to even scare her like, well, if you don't, then we'll end up back in the hospital again. You know, mm -hmm. we've tried all kind of everything in between, like the <laughs> empathy versus the <laughs> so I don't know if she doesn't really respond well to any of it that we yeah. can tell. So what I don't know, which is really interesting, and I'm wondering if you know, and I have a feeling you might not, is when she looks at the menu, which is way too much planning for a 10-year-old. Let's just name it. Yes, right? <laughs> I agree. Yes. Right? So she, what that means to me is that she feels really responsible for a lot of things in her life and about getting it right a lot of the time. And that is a very hard personality to have with type one, right? Because there's a yeah. lot that you get wrong with type one. And, sure. um, and that's just the way it goes. And you'll find this as you go on with it, not that you'll get more wrong, but you'll get more accepting of the fact that you can't get it right as much as you think you can. I mean, the, the level of like arrogance I had when I left the hospital, when my son was diagnosed about how perfect <laughs> all the numbers were going to be, is no longer there, right? Sure. Um, oh, I've learned that even in these few months, I've learned yeah. that quite a bit. Yeah. So she has a sense of being really responsible for herself and everything around it, like super hyper responsible. And what I'm wondering is when she looks at the menu, what is it that's so distressing to her? Do we know? Do you have any sense of what's so distressing? I think, I mean, I have noticed that as much as we say, you know, you really can't eat whatever that you want to eat. You know, we're, we're just going to dose however you need to eat, how you normally would. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think she takes on a little bit of that. Oh, that's too much. That's too many carbs. Or mm -hmm. I know that that's not a healthy option. You know, I think she's trying to make just like nutritional decisions maybe that are, that she kind of puts on herself. Mm -hmm. 
And I don't know if maybe that even that might even have to do with just the amount of insulin that she's going to get. Like she'd rather get a smaller shot than a bigger shot, you know, as something like that. Why is it hurt her? She's still pretty uh, nervous with the shots mm-hmm. and she fights. She still kind of fights. I mean, in the beginning we had to really physically hold her down and there was a lot of screaming and crying and it was really hard. And she would scream, you know, things like, you don't love me, you know, really, really, it was a really tough, mm-hmm. you know, first few weeks. Um, now she knows it has to happen, but she still kind of whimpers and says no and mm-hmm. things like that mm-hmm. every time. Mm. This is gruesome for you. I, I mean, it's <laughs> gruesome for her, right? I know yeah. that, but it's really gruesome for you, right? That you're facing a child who gets this dysregulated every time and doesn't have a way to help herself and you can't seem to help her, right? That's really, really hard. Um, Okay. I have a few thoughts. Well, a lot of thoughts actually. Um, First of all, diabetes tends to, the way I, I don't know why I picture it as a little small, like light white pink elephant. That's so bizarre. But I think I see that little tiny elephant sitting on whenever, wherever the fault lines are um, when diabetes is diagnosed. So if the fault line is that your daughter is anxious, which it is in your case, the little tiny elephant sits right there and puts all its little tiny weight on that spot. It doesn't break it, but it just makes it heavier and harder, right? If your fault line is your relationship with your spouse, is hard in terms of division of labor, that's where the little elephant sits. <laughs> mm-hmm, sure. So in your case, you have a pretty anxious kid who already was aiming towards some kind of perfection. And she's been given a basically impossible task that has to do um, in everyone's mind with her health, right? Which mm-hmm. sounds very, very big and scary. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she's taking that all very seriously. So one thing I want to think about is how can you, this is a general statement, how can you take it from her and make it not her responsibility as much as possible, right? Because I know that as a newly diagnosed parent, and many parents feel this way for a long time, let me just name that, there's a lot of feeling of like, my kid is going to need to do this on her own. I need to make sure that she can, and I need to teach her how. What I'm going to say to you is, yeah, huh? And you have a highly responsible child who's too anxious to take it right now. So whatever is happening that makes her feel like she has to, I want you to rein that back. And I want you to give a lot of messages to her that this is not her responsibility right now. I want at school her to have as much support as you can advocate for her. She should not be in touch with you directly about her numbers during the day. You need someone else doing it if you can do that. I've seen a trend with parents where they are handing phones to their kids and texting them all day long. It just raises the child's anxiety. Like in my day, we had somebody who was like the nurse. We talked to her, right? Let's see how much, and that might not be possible. I want to name that, or it might feel like Mm -hmm. a very big um, advocacy task that will take a while, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm going to encourage you strongly to pull back as much as you can from her. So when she starts looking at the menu for you to say, hey, sweetie, I've got it. We're going to go and you can order whatever you want. I'm going to figure out the dosage. Now, I don't know that that's the problem exactly, right? Because there might be other things about anxiety about the shot, all these things. I have thoughts about that too. But 
I want you to take as much as you can on yourself. I just don't know what the dynamic is there and how much she's saying, I can do it myself. Some things you should let her. Like if she wants to give her own shot, for example, let her do that because that's a control piece. If she's choosing that, that might make it feel um, less scary to give the shot. But almost anything else, I would see if you can take it back. So again, okay. I don't know what the division of labor is, but I think that that's important for this child. The, sure. Yeah, let me pause there and see how that lands. Yeah, um, I wish um, I wish it was easier to, you know, we talk a, a lot about food now, you know, mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. we're making a meal, it's, okay, what do you, what do you want? Do you want this? You know, like, because we have to add up all the carbs, you know, and we're still pretty, um, we're, we're a, we're not very good at eyeballing things, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, we're still kind of like, we're, we're measuring on the scale, you know, that kind of yep. thing. And she's on a pretty small amounts of insulin where a half a unit can send her mm -hmm. way one direction or the other. So yep. I wish there was an easier way and the pump would probably make this easier eventually, but mm -hmm. to, to not have to talk about the food so much. Yep. Yep. Um, so one thought I, I have about that. Yeah. That's, that's kind of unavoidable where you are right now. And that is a good yeah. goal. You knowing that this is not normal and not good for her is good that you know that. Yeah. And I would say that to her. Like, Maisie, I'm so sorry we have to talk about this all the time. This has got to raise your stress a lot. I know this is going to get better. This isn't the way life is always going to be. It True. doesn't mean it's going to change anything for her right now, but you're holding the hope with her that it's going to get easier. And, and it will. You'll be able to eyeball things and the pump will help because you can, with the pump, pre-dose a little and leave some for later if you're not sure. So you actually don't need to have any conversation. You just know that she'll eat at least 10 grams of carbs. You dose what that is, and then you can dose more later. Is that protocol? No. Is that reality on the ground to keep your child less anxious? Yes. Yeah. Maybe her numbers will go a little higher because of that. You have to decide, but I would say that's an okay trade-off right now to get her anxiety level lower. Does sure. that make sense? And if she could yeah, tolerate absolutely. the shots, I'd say give her two shots, but she can't, right? Yeah. So maybe let her start eating, plate it up, let her start eating, see how high she goes, right? Rather than giving all the insulin up front um, and having to have the whole conversation. I know, again, that that's not protocol and she will go higher. And I feel like in this situation, I want to know, I want you to know that it's temporary and, and you are shifting target. So the target right now in your mind is in range blood sugars. I'm saying, what if the target is less anxious child? And then you can work back to in range blood sugars. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good way to look at it. And I, I've kind of shifted just kind of recently, like with our last endo appointment, the, the endocrinologist can read me like a book and she, <laughs> she stares right into my soul and she says, you're doing okay. Like, mm -hmm. Because she knows that I, well, I'm a perfectionist too. That's where, mm -hmm. that's where Maisie gets it. So, mm -hmm. and my husband, the same way, we just, we, we want her to be as healthy as possible. And that means we want to keep her numbers where we want them. And I, I, I'm really realizing now that, like you said, I need to really focus on her being a kid and, and her stress level and all of that mm -hmm. as a, the priority here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is really, really hard when you're new at it. It's really hard at any mm -hmm. point, but I could talk for a while to you about average A1C by age, um, 
based on data. And there are time periods in your child's life where her A1C and her numbers are not going to be so good. And that's okay. And, and it doesn't seem based on the data, like that's really affecting long-term health. Okay. So we have to just hold that and like talk to your endocrinologist about that because yeah. especially when you're new, but not always. And I think honestly, CGM technology shifts the anxiety. Like when my son was diagnosed, we didn't have that technology. We did a finger stick many, many times a day. He was a pin cushion, but I couldn't mm -hmm. get readings in between and be tracking it minute by minute. And what has happened, I think, for parents like you who can slap a CGM on your kid right away, which is a gift, don't get me wrong, but your anxiety is even higher because you're tracking every single number and, and they do go out of range. That's normal. Yeah. Do we want it? No. Are we figuring it out? Yes. <laughs> um, and so it's like giving some breathing space to the task so that you can focus on the whole child, the whole picture, which in this case very much includes her anxiety. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yep. Uh, it's nice to hear you say that um, long-term health doesn't seem to be too affected by those yeah. things. I'm a nurse and mm -hmm. I work in a wound clinic. Oh. So I see a lot of diabetic foot ulcers and amputations mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. see how, how diabetes affects people granted they're much older and have been dealing right. with this for much longer. And the, and like you said, the technology, it's a totally different disease now, but mm -hmm. that's always kind of stuck in my head too. Of course. Know. Of course. And are those people with type one or type two? Or both? Um, probably mostly type two. Yeah. So, so if you look at the data on on the things that people are most afraid of with diabetes, which is amputation, blindness, kidney failure, those, uh, those complications of type one have gone down tremendously, like to almost, I don't wanna say almost zero levels, but like 1% to 5% levels. I'd have to look at the data again. Um, since people went on multiple daily injections. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there are, there are complications actually in cardiac function. Um, that's where people with type one seem to have more problems weirdly. Um, but I feel like, okay, make sure you're eating well and you're exercising. Like sure. we're, we're all aging. We're all doing our best. Right. But what I want to name to you is those dire complications that you as a nurse have seen with these type two patients who've probably had massively high blood sugars for extended periods of time without any insulin being thrown into the system, that is just not a reality for our kids. Could that happen to one in the hundred of them? Maybe, but I think that though, not a kid who's on a CGM, who's dosing multiple times a day, who's going to be on a pump, like the chance of that feels to me like next to nothing. Oh, well. Right? Okay. Like, again, no, I don't know. very reassuring. <laughs> yeah. But again, talk to your endocrinologist about this, because what we know is this scary picture. And what we don't know is that those scary things are really not so much. Like, look at what the complication uh, picture actually is, right? Which is not that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll have and, to do some more research there. Yeah. We all know that old adage that you should put on your own oxygen mask first. But as a parent with a T1D kid, that sometimes can be hard. We know that the job feels like it's always 24-7 and we're always on. So how do we take care of ourselves and get that oxygen that we so desperately need? Come join me at my next workshop, Caring for the Caregiver, on January 19th. Can't make it on that day? Not a problem. You'll get the replay for the rest of 2024 once you register. 
go to DiabetesSweetTalk.com and click on the banner at the top of the page. I look forward to seeing you there and helping you get some oxygen. So with that as a backdrop, I also want to think about her anxiety and who's in control. So I'm hearing two pieces. One, she gets very overtaken by something that later makes her feel really ashamed. Yes. And it sounds to me like that has happened pre-diabetes. So it's not just like the diabetes monster. We can't name it that, but we can name it something. And there's a wonderful book called Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents that I recommend you take a look at. I got it. Good. Your recommendation. Yeah. I'm getting through it. And it does speak to me quite a bit. Yes. Yeah. So the idea there is to separate the child from the anxiety and find language with her. Right. So to notice, for example, with her later when she's calm and we can think about what to do in those moments, but to notice like, hey, Maisie, I noticed that you can get really anxious. I wonder what that feels like in your body. Right. What do you say to yourself when the when the diabetes monster, I'm going to call it that for now, but I would name it with her. Right. Like, what is that thing that comes? What is it like? And find a way with her to talk to it and notice it in the moment. Like, hey, I think this is one of those times where the diabetes monster is taken over. I know that's really hard for you. And we need to think about, and hopefully you can think with her in moments when she's calmer about ways to address it when it happens. Does that make sense? So you're not going to go into what happened there, what brought that on, because that clearly brings on shame. But there's something that happens. Like, I would be very matter of fact. Like, I notice in these kind of situations, you get dysregulated. What I would say to her is you get really upset and, and we need to find a way to help you get less upset, right? Mm -hmm. What does it feel like in your body? What do you notice? And how can I help you in those moments? Like, do you need to take a walk? Do you need us? What do you need? I would talk to her and see if she knows. Sure. But one thing I I, 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 want, I want to, I have one more thought and then I'm going to pass it back to you. One thing I'm hearing is that you're asking her a lot in that moment what she needs. And part of what she needs in that moment is for you to be in charge. So she's never going to say that to you because she's not smart enough to know that yet. But children at 10 need their parents to be in charge. It is too scary for you to say, what do you want, this or this, in that moment. Because she's, she knows, a part of her knows that she's blowing the whole thing up. And she's really scared of that part of her. And I think she needs you to contain that. So when you're saying to her in that moment, she's on the floor crying and you say, do you want to go out or do you want to stay home? What do you want? I think you should not be asking her that question. I think you should be saying, sweetie, I know it's really hard. Something about that menu really scared you. I get that. And we're going to go. I'm going to give you 10 minutes. Why don't you go wash your face or spend some time on your own? And then we're going to get in the car. Right? Help her get contained and help her know that you're in charge and that she cannot derail you. Because that's part of what's happening is that she knows she's a monster. She derails Mm -hmm. the family time and time again. And she's scared that she has so much power. Don't let Mm -hmm. her. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I can see that, definitely. Mm -hmm. I know she makes... A lot of when, when it gets to that level too, her sister gets stressed out too, and is and a lot of times crying. And sure. and honestly, that especially that night, it just it, 
in my head, I was like, we're a family in crisis here. Like yeah. everybody was just losing it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I, and I know she feels bad that she makes her sister feel sad too. Mm -hmm. So I, that makes sense that she, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And that's the part that collapses in shame is the part of her that knows she turns into a monster herself. Yes. Right. And it's unbearable for her. So she, she can't necessarily control whether or not it happens yet, but you can help her know that you've, you're containing it. Like, yep, yeah, I see this and I get it. You're frustrated. Believe me, I've been there. And so the question is how to keep the family moving forward, even though you're in that space. Right. So this, I want to name, this is not going to get untangled in one moment. This is complicated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it can take practice, I think, but yeah. Yeah. And where are you physically? In uh, like what state or yeah. where, uh -huh. Wisconsin? Yeah. So the other thing I wonder about is, um, and I mentioned this to another parent on another show, it's called PCIT which is parent-child interaction therapy. Okay. And I just don't know what they have where you are. But okay. PCIT therapists work with young dysregulated children. Like that's what they do. And they um, actually often do like a one-way mirror kind of situation where they <coughs> have you interacting. I don't know. They might do it in live time in your house. I, I don't, just don't know how they work well enough to know. But they'll put a little microphone in your ear. And they'll be like, now do this. And oh, they okay. help you, yeah, with these difficult interactions. So I think some therapeutic intervention here could be helpful. And it might just help um, reroute the course a little bit. So it's not feeling so hard for everybody. Um, and I think that family therapy could be helpful potentially. And the reason I say that instead of sending her is because I don't want her to feel worse about herself right? This is a family system. The family is struggling instead of Maisie being the identified patient, the problem. We don't want her to feel that way. We want her to feel like you're all in it together. Even though part of her feels like she is monstrous doing these things and falling apart, like connecting with her around the idea that you're all in this together is going to be helpful, I think, for that. Yeah. In the past, we've, <clears throat> we've tried to get her into a therapist or a counselor but again, she does not want to go and she's very resistant to it. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. usually causes more of a, you know, another emotional breakdown than I feel it's worth mm -hmm. to try to get her there. Mm -hmm. And I think it, again, she feels like she's doing something wrong or there's something That's right. wrong with her. Yeah. Yep. And so if it's the family that needs help, then it's easier. It's mm -hmm. the same thing for diabetes camp that I often feel for families who say, my kid doesn't want to go. I'm like, right. So go all of you. Like it's yeah. a family vacation. You don't ask your 10 year old. You don't really ask your 10 year old, where do you want to go on a family vacation? You plan it, you take them. And so yeah. it's the same. And so for her, I think also, I mean, I can't say this enough, like diabetes camp is helpful because it so normalizes the experience. So I would recommend you look and see what's close enough to you that you mm -hmm. can do next summer as a family. That is the plan. Yes. And yeah. she's excited to do something like that. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. She's the kind of kid I could see her. I mean, the little I know about her, but I think that I could see her being the kind of kid who turns into a really powerful advocate once she can feel a little less shame because she is so organized, right? She is so on top of yeah. it, right? And yeah. it might and not be her passion project, but it could be too. 
Yeah, and she has plenty of times where she really is she she amazes us with how well she's handling a mm -hmm. lot of it mm -hmm. um and i know she feels proud of herself when when she is <clears throat> on top of it but mm -hmm. i i hope i i guess i'll try to help her know that it's not necessary <laughs> she right. doesn't and have to also, put that on herself and also she can't always be on top of it the truth right. is none of us can be for a lifetime always on top of diabetes, right? We do diabetes to live our lives robustly. We're not living our lives to do diabetes perfectly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. How's all this? Anything else that comes up? No, I think a lot of that, you know, it makes perfect sense. And we'll definitely try, try to do some of these things, especially, you know, when we're in the moment and <clears throat> just kind of taking charge and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, gently and with a lot of compassion, which is hard, right? Mm -hmm. When you're frustrated mm -hmm. as a parent and just saying like, I see you're really anxious about this. It's really hard for you. I know it is. I'm going to give you 10 minutes. If there's something I can do to help you, let me know. Otherwise, I'd like you to go like wash your face and get your coat on because we're going to the restaurant and I'll help you pick it and we'll figure it out, yeah. right? You want her to know that whatever has made her so anxious is a manageable thing. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's good. Thank I'm you so very much. Yeah. I'm <clears throat> delighted to have met you. I wish you luck and I hope to hear your follow-ups. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register.